This season of Tub Talk is brought to you by Barracuda MSP. Every 11 seconds, there's a new ransomware attack. There are so many ransomware attacks that governments are now classifying them as terrorism. And it's not just big companies that are being targeted. Small and medium-sized businesses are becoming victims too. What are you as an MSP doing to help your clients from becoming the next victim? Barracuda MSP is here to help you ensure you and your clients are prepared and protected against the inevitable ransomware attacks. Let Barracuda MSP help you strengthen your ransomware protection plan. As a special offer for TubTalk listeners, visit barracudamsp.com forward slash TubTalk and receive a free first month on any subscription you start with Barracuda MSP. That's barracudamsp.com forward slash TubTalk and receive a free first month on any subscription you start with Barracuda MSP. Thanks to Barracuda MSP for helping bring you TubTalk. Now, on with the show. Well, hello. It's Tuesday, and you know what that means. Welcome to Tub Talk Live. I'm Richard Tub here at home in the studio garage in Newcastle upon Tyne in the northeast of England. And this is the live show where we talk to the smartest, most successful people in the managed service provider industry, giving you the opportunity to learn from them with the tips techniques, tools, and practices that can help you to grow your IT business. As always, we are very, very interactive. This is a live session. So if you're joining us via LinkedIn, via Facebook, via Twitter, via YouTube, or anywhere else, let us know where in the world you're joining us from today. Let us know in the chat so we can give you a shout out. And if you've got any questions or comments for our guest today, fire them over in the comments on whatever social media channel you're joining us on. We're monitoring all channels for your feedback. And I promise I will pause regularly to ask your questions of our guest and give you a name check as well. Now, on to our main event for today. I am super excited to be joined by our guest, Jennifer Bleem. Jennifer is a cybersecurity Sherpa. She's the owner and founder at MSP Sales Revolution, a company that helps manage service providers, MSPs, become more cybersecurity focused and close more cybersecurity deals. Now, Jennifer is really well known and respected within the MSP industry. She's worked in cybersecurity roles at Continuum, Carvia, other vendors, and she is regularly requested as a guest for the tribal gatherings within the online MSP community of the Tech Tribe. Jennifer, fantastic to have you here with us today. Welcome to Subsort Live. Where are you joining us from today? Uh, Richard, thank you so much for having me. Super excited. I can't wait for the conversations to come. I am joining you from Maryland, right near Washington, D.C., on the east coast of the U.S. So it is um, almost lunchtime for me. I know for others, it is almost the end of the day or crack dawn early. So again, thank you for, for having me. Super excited to chat with you. My pleasure. I've been so looking forward to speaking to you. So I will say up front, we were chatting, you, me, and uh, Richard from Fresh Productions, who's hosting the video for us today. Thank you, Richard. Uh, most guests are a little bit nervous when they come on and do these live sessions. But it's fair to say you're almost a veteran of them now. You've been a guest on how many uh, Tech Tribe Lives have we done with uh, Nigel Moore, perhaps? I think I've done four or five, maybe six lives between yeah. uh, live Q&As and some uh, presented you know, training materials and webinar style. So pro probably close to six at this point. Yeah, you've got, I mean, you are super popular within the Tech Tribe, as the rest of the world are about to uh, to find out as well. But for anybody who's not a member of the Tech Tribe, doesn't know Jennifer Bleem, how would you describe what you do? 
So I work with a small number of MSPs and I help them scale the cybersecurity mountain. So we we create your packaging, your pricing, your go-to-market strategy. So that is obviously everything having to do with sales and marketing. Um, and then we, we even dive into financials. We dive into time management. So I call everything that I do my smart system. And so it's sales, marketing, accountability, uh, recurring revenue and those financials. And then the, the T is time, time time for whatever the CEO or the owner wants to do, which is always a, a bit different from company to company. Yeah. And I, I want to jump straight in. I'm going to touch a little bit further on your background in the industry. I mentioned some of the vendors that you worked at. You also used to work at an MSP, more than one MSP. Uh, so we'll jump into that in a bit, but I want to jump straight in talking about cybersecurity because it's at the top of every MSP's agenda at the moment for very good reason. And you know, I was talking to an MSP the other day and they were saying, look, the, the vendors within the cybersecurity space seem to be like multiplying at the moment. There's some really, really good products out there to help uh, MSPs. Yet, would it be fair to say that the messaging that some of those vendors puts out and, and you know, helping MSPs understand how those tools can be sold and help their clients, would it be fair to say that's perhaps a little bit confusing? So, I guess my first question would be, how would you recommend MSPs position this myriad of different tools that are out there? Yeah, so so I would definitely agree with you. There, there's definitely a disconnect. I think the challenge is that vendors have really two audiences. They they have the the MSPs or the IT service pros. For those for that audience, they can talk very technical. They can get in deep in the weeds of how things work. But then you're right when that MSP has to shift and have that conversation with the end user, they can't talk about machine learning and AI and algorithms. And, and that, that's a great way to have the end users uh, eyes glaze over and they simply don't care about that. They, they want to do their job. And so when I'm coaching my clients, I talk to them about leaning on a framework um, and whether that's the essential eight or the CIS controls or, or NIST or you know, cyber essentials, like there's, a, there's a, several different frameworks out there lean on a framework because what you're doing is borrowing somebody else's genius. And you're saying right. our government or our governing bodies have, have suggested that these are the eight things, the 10 things, the 27 things, like the number doesn't matter, but lean on those, that framework to explain why you're doing what you're doing. Don't get deep in the weeds. I don't actually recommend that you say, you know, this month we're going to deploy a, you know, EDR solution or an MDR solution. Those are acronyms that, that, are starting to mean something in our industry, but they certainly don't mean anything to your end users. So lean on the framework, translate that framework down into language that your clients and your prospects care about, and then line up everything that you're doing within those frameworks. So if you're using NIST, um, you can just talk about before, during, and after. If you're using CIS, you can talk about the fact that if you deploy you know, 15 or 20 different things, you're going to be able to reduce their risk by 80%. And so, so what, whatever framework you choose, lean on that framework because that undercuts a lot of the objections because it's not you that's telling them they need to do something. It's somebody other than you. And so there's credibility there automatically. I love that. And it's actually not too different to MSPs when they're selling compliance packages because it isn't the MSP that's saying, hey, go and do this. We think it's a good idea. It's actually coming from a framework that has been put together by government organizations or whoever in a respected field. Yes. And so then when, when the client expresses frustration or maybe even anger or confusion, like, oh, why do we need to do this? This is so confusing. 
you can commiserate with them. You can make the yeah. government the bad guy, um, which which is often very easy to do. You're just like, I get it. I understand this feels complex. You know, this is what, you know, people that have deeper pockets than us and they understand this intimately. They have spent hours and hours and hours figuring out what we need to have in place. And, and we agree. So I understand that it's confusing. I understand you didn't have to do it five years ago. Welcome to today. Things have changed. Yeah, we're getting lots of uh, feedback, lots of questions coming in. If you are watching us live, please feel free to get your questions in. Uh, I will pause regularly to ask uh, Jennifer questions and I'll give you a, a shout out as well. We've got people from all over the world joining us. You are something of a celebrity within the MSP uh, space here, Jennifer. So lots of raving fans uh, out Love there. It. To that end, you've, you know, rather remarkably, I should say, you've helped hundreds of MSPs at this point to achieve a 60% and better closing rate on their managed security contracts. Now, there's going to be some people watching this and going, what? And their ears will have perked up, what? What's going on there? <laughs> Tell us, if you can, what's the secret source behind this? How do you, how do you help the MSPs to achieve that level of uh, closing rate? Yeah, so, so there's two pieces to the secret sauce that I'm willing to talk about publicly. Uh, the, <laughs> the first is, you know, any... Any system is perfectly designed to deliver the results that it is delivering. And so if your system, if your sales system is delivering a 30% close rate, it is because your sales system is designed to deliver a 30% close rate. And, and often that system is not really designed to create a 30% close rate. It just, we've accidentally uh, fallen into a system. We haven't actually created a system, but whatever, but you do have a system, whether you, whether you have taken the time to build one or not, that system is creating the results that you are getting. So the, the magic is we begin with the end in mind. And, and I have a very high standard. It, it's perhaps a, a bit, uh, a bit pie in the sky, some may say, but I, whenever I am recommending a, a marketing tactic or a sales process, I really want it to work extremely well for 100% of the community. It's kind of like the difference between making an angel food cake from scratch and making an angel food cake out of a out of a box. Like it's really really difficult to mess up an angel food cake out of the box. You can put 50% more water in, you can whip it less than you're supposed to and yet you still end up with an angel food cake. And so Everything that I do is designed to make sure that it is going to work, that we translate it to the to what an MSP can understand or a technology service provider can execute on. And typically those are people that don't love sales and marketing. And so that's the first piece is, is understanding that today you do have a process and, it, and a system and it's delivering the results that you're getting. Uh, the second piece of the secret sauce is this, this concept um, we all believe that we've been taught that in order to be an expert at something, it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert at that. And um, that is true if you are trying to, let's say, learn to play the violin and go to the London Philharmonic. 10,000 hours, like five years of full-time, 40-hour, 50-hour-a-week effort. If you want to be the superstar on, you know, in first chair violin, London Philharmonic. But what if you simply want to be able to play violin in a local 
uh, you know, local gigs, or you want to play them for weddings, or you want to be able to play in your church. Studies have actually shown that that only takes 20 hours. So 10,000 hours of concentration to get to the London Philharmonic, 20 hours to simply be very good at it. And so for most people, they don't need to be the London Philharmonic best salesperson in the world. They simply need to be able to close at a 60% close rate. And that's right. very, very doable. So it, it is focused time and attention. It is having a system and a process, but it absolutely works. And I, I love what I do. That's when I get very excited because we can see tangible changes inside of the way the MSPs are thinking, the way they're running through their sales process and system. Um, and and it, it does absolutely work. Yeah. Something you said there, I want to pick up on very, very shortly, and that is around the MSP marketing side of things. And we will get to that very shortly, but we've got lots of uh, feedback from people. And I'm trying to paraphrase here because we've got lots of questions about different tools. Are there any tools, you know, we talked earlier about vendors. There is a multitude of different vendors out there in the cybersecurity space. Are there any tools that have come onto your horizon that you would recommend to MSPs and specifically MSPs to have in their security stack? So one of the tools that I still see being kind of an afterthought is anything having to do with password management. Um, that's it's a bit of a surprise to me because it was one of the first things that I adopted was was centralized password management that I as the owner can control. And so, mm -hmm. so that is one thing that I, I definitely want MSPs to, to not overlook. It's, it's one of those, um, oh, yeah. I kind of forgot about that. You know, as I'm helping my clients build stacks, all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, I kind of forgot about that one. Um, I would say that typically there is a, a, solid focus on protecting threats from, from getting in, which, which is fine. Zero issues there, but there is not as much focus on detecting when that threat gets through your other layers of protection. So great, mm -hmm. we all want to have antivirus or EDR or MDR and, you know, we all, but, but what happens when those things fail? Be because they will. And that's why, you know, if you look at NIST, it is a cycle, you know, detect, respond, recover, and then you start all over again. And so you have to have things in place that are constantly looking and almost assuming that your other layers have failed. And that's, that's the piece that it's it's almost like there there is a mental realization okay i need that but in in the msp's heart of hearts they're just they they aren't willing to admit that wait maybe my tools might fail because again 5 years ago it was okay to rely on the tools but things have changed and so there's i think there's a bit of of emotional resistance to uh putting together a stack or a an offering that that says you know we are not going to be 100% perfect that's that's tough messaging in our own heads let alone when we're then having to go into a sales situation and sell that yeah if we can clarify for the audience as well nist that you've referred to before yeah. uh, explain who who nist are and what they do so, so NIST is uh, it's National Institute of Science and Technology. They are they have a a system or a framework, if you will, that that almost every government leans on. And so, uh, CIS controls actually rolls up to NIST. Um, and so, so NIST, all probably most people have seen the whole identify, uh, protect 
detect, respond, recover. It is a, a cycle or just simply a framework uh, to build your cybersecurity offering on. And it becomes a, a centralized language that everybody inside of your organization can lean on and then you can educate your clients about as well. Um, and, and I'm going to hold that because I know, I think we're probably going to talk about marketing in a few minutes. NIST has yeah. a ton of great marketing resources that surprisingly are small business friendly. So they, they're out there. You just need to poke around on their site and find them. Yeah. And for anybody uh, watching from this side of the pond in the UK, we've got the National Cybersecurity Center, not dissimilar. And they've got a lot of very, very cool uh, resources there. So more about that shortly. I wanted to ask you a question, though, about assumptions. I've sp spoke to a number of MSPs in the run up to our interview. And I feel as though MSPs make assumptions about their clients' attitudes towards cybersecurity. Oh, they would never buy that, or oh, they're not bothered about that, or any one of a dozen different assumptions. Are there <laughs> any assumptions that you see in the marketplace that MSPs have that you would like to challenge MSPs on? So it's so interesting. Uh, the one you just mentioned at the beginning, oh, they wouldn't buy that. That's a pet peeve of mine. Uh, we we took my dog to a to the vet. She was brand new. I mean, I think we'd had her for ten days, and the the comment was made, "Oh, you don't want to spend." You've already spent X amount. Um, we still don't know what's happening. In order to find out what's happening, it's going to be a test, and that's another thousand dollars. You don't want to do that, do you? And so, after the fact, you know, after the emotion of making the decision, and I thought you know, she made that buying decision for me. She didn't understand that this was like a little puppy that my three boys had fallen in love with and they're at home sobbing because they don't know what's wrong with the dog and are we even going to be able to bring the dog home? Or are we going to have to put the dog down? Yes, that is worth a thousand dollars to me. And yeah. so that they that veterinarian made that buying or suggested that buying decision for me. So I think that's always a mistake um, that, that I see is like, oh, my clients won't invest in this. Well, they won't invest in it if you don't position it correctly, if you don't build the value, if you don't understand what could happen if we don't invest in this. So that's one uh, one common misconception. Um, the other one that I hear is that, oh, my clients are already aware that cybersecurity is a big deal. If they wanted it, they would ask me for it. And I think this is um, a, a very powerful psychological principle at work because everyone that's listening to this is extremely aware of what is happening. Our, our inboxes are filled with, you know, weekly threats and daily challenges and new things and, uh, you know, rubber duckies and like all these, this craziness, like that is the world we live in. And so we know intuitively how bad it is out there. And we know intuitively that there are significant risks. We see the headlines, but that's our reticular activator. That's the world that we live in. Our brain sees those things. Do not make the assumption that your clients are seeing the same things as you are. We are bombarded by tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of inputs every single day. And what our brains do is it's a, it, our brains are fancy filtering mechanisms. So think of them almost like a if then rule. If, if I know Jennifer's interested in this, I'll show it to her. Otherwise I'm going to filter it out, not display it to her eyes and her, her head because she would literally go insane if she absorbed everything that was in the world. So what's interesting, especially as, as you start to think about the, the life cycle of your client and, and marketing to your clients is that it's, it's what your job is to wake up that reticular activator in your clients, in your prospects, wake them up. If, if today 
they're thinking, oh, I don't, I don't really know about cybersecurity. I don't know if it could happen to me. I don't know if it would really impact my business. I, I think I could recover. I've got $10,000 in the bank. You know, it's, it's no big deal. Your job is to wake them up that this is a big deal. And by, by doing, you, you do that through your marketing so that when you walk in as a salesperson, you don't have to prove to them that there is a risk to them. And so that's another common misconception is my, my clients already know this is a big deal. Therefore, you, you skip all of the building of the case and you go straight to the dollars. They only see the dollars. They didn't actually have the case built in their mind. Yeah. And, and any of us as good business owners, if you say, hey, I need you to buy this widget, it's $15,000, I'm going to go, I, why do I need this widget? No, the answer is no. Yeah, I have $15,000, but there's no value in the widget. I don't understand why I need it. And so there, we're, we're making the mistake that our prospects are living in the same world we are, or they're, they're walking a, a mile in our shoes when they're simply not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're bombarded to a degree with messages in the news about cybersecurity. But in my experience, most uh, small businesses especially think that's happened to someone else. That's not something I've got to deal with. That's happened to someone else. So you need to bring the information up for them. You need to help them understand these are people like you who are being affected. Yeah, makes sense. Totally. Yes. A reminder that we are live with Jennifer Bleem uh, today. If you've got any questions at all about cybersecurity, about sales, heck, managed services as a whole, get them in. And whatever platform you are watching, we are pausing regularly uh, to ask uh, questions as well. We've got some questions, some feedback. I tell you what, uh, Jennifer, the great and the good have come out today from the MSP industry to watch you. We've got Andrew Moon uh, says on LinkedIn, a couple of my favorite people right here. Jason Kemsley uh, uh, also says, who was a guest on a previous Tub Talk Live, he says, analyze, don't just defend, a really great takeaway. And we've got uh, Arn, Adam, Tate, lots of people uh, agreeing with what you've said. So uh, we've got one question that comes in here, and it is specifically, um, I guess it's specifically for you. Uh, how does, we talked about tools, how does Jennifer keep her own business cyber safe? Yeah. Okay. So awesome question. So um, a couple of things, obviously password management is huge with me. Um, I have a remote team. And so, so we have a centralized password management vault that, that I can control that I've got access to, to be able to turn things off, turn things on as needed. Um, also a lot of education because um, my, my team is not necessarily, they're not cybersecurity aware. They're not cybersecurity experts. So as much as I am being bombarded with information, it, it's a very similar dynamic that they are not. That's not what their inbox is full of. And so I'm constantly reminding them of proper cyber hygiene and hover over links. It, it's it's the, the same kind of conversations that, that, I, that I would hope most of you are having with your clients. And when I say conversations, that could be one-on-one. -on -one. It could also be in your marketing, in your newsletters, in your live, um, in your live videos. So that's part of it. Um, email security is a big deal. So I have um, email security tools that, that don't allow um, links to be clicked on if they're fraudulent. So I have that in place. So very, probably very, very similar to the same type of things that, that the, the audience has multi-factor. Um, candidly, I hate it, uh, but it's in place everywhere. Um, it, it is a bit of a pain, especially with a distributed workforce. It can be challenging, um, but it, it's not optional. So it, it's, it's the whole, you know, secure your own house first type of thing. 
Yeah, and somebody's asked a similar question of me. What's in, in my stack? Happy to to talk about specific. We use uh, and, and bear in mind, uh, my business is not a managed service provider, so we don't have to worry about multi-tenanted approach and all of uh, all of those things. But we use like LastPass. We use Mikey uh, Guard by Mikey Cyber Security. Uh, what else do we use? We use Authy for two-factor authentication across the team. So it seems, uh, Jennifer, we've got you know not dissimilar setups there. And for any MSP watching this. You know, two-factor authentication is an absolute must now, whether it's a pain in the backside or not. And we can argue that it is an absolute must. Password management is a must. And I think, you know, browser protection and those types of things as well. So, uh, yeah, interested. Let us know in the chat which tools you're seeing come to the surface at the moment, what what you're using uh, to help uh, keep your clients safe. I want to move things forward or rewind a little bit in a way because we've already touched upon this. It's very a uh, difficult topic for MSPs uh, to cover. And I will say this with all the love in the world because they are absolutely rubbish at it, in my opinion, and that's marketing. <laughs> so MSPs, notoriously poor uh, at marketing themselves, but you started out in the MSP industry as a marketing and account manager in your family MSP business, didn't you? I, so what, I, I did. what did you learn from that? Okay, so in fairness, though, I didn't jump into marketing in the MSP world. My my background, I actually did uh, sales for a health insurance company where I was a sole agent. It was my business. Uh, we sold health insurance, life insurance, disability. And so I became a student of marketing very quickly because I had to generate my own leads. And I became a student of direct response marketing. I, I was a, a Dan Kennedy person for years and years. And so, so jumping into the MSP, marketing world was not my first foray, foray into marketing. It was just a, a new a new service. But what what I learned, it, man, learned learned a ton. But part of what I learned, it, it goes back to that 20-hour rule that we were talking about at the beginning. Mm. It doesn't take 10,000 hours to become very good at something. It becomes it, it takes 20 hours, but it's 20 hours of concerted effort without getting distracted and truly studying, um, truly becoming a student of something. And the hardest part is, is when you're at the very beginning of that process um, and, and you suck and you know that you suck. And, yep. and that those hours, it's probably five to seven hours where um, of that 20 hour mastery that that is the most difficult um, mentally, but it's also extremely difficult emotionally because nobody wants to do something that they stink at. And so mm. that's the problem is that that most IT companies would not be particularly surprised by hearing us say, okay, as, as MSP business owners, we're not particularly good at marketing. I don't think that comes as a surprise to anyone. The challenge is that someone in your company has to do it. Um, and so so as the business owner, you can't abdicate, you know, please don't hire a marketing manager and just say, run along, bring me leads. Um, that, that doesn't work. Uh, and so, so as a business owner, you need to understand marketing. You need to understand avatar and top of funnel and marketing messaging and value propositions. And, and anyone listening to this is capable of understanding marketing and executing on it, but if it isn't something they're naturally going to be good at, then they need to understand the basics, understand their limitations, and I like to say, you know, own your strengths, but outsource your weaknesses, um, because there we're, we all have a limited amount of days on this earth, 
And while you probably could spend 20 hours or more getting marginally good at marketing, why don't you spend 20 hours understanding marketing, understanding what you want marketing to do, and then hire someone or outsource to someone who can bring you those results. Um, and, and there's a, there's a great book called Who Not How, and it is all about not saying, how do I, Jennifer, solve this problem? Because then I, Jennifer, become the limiter in my business. And that could be limited in terms of knowledge, but it could also be limited in terms of time. And so when when I instead ask the question, how do I solve this problem? I have a marketing problem. I now understand it's solvable. I have a very clear outcome that I want to achieve. I don't want to achieve it. I need it achieved for my business, but I don't want to do it. I want to track KPIs. I want to give, maybe I have to make decisions from time to time, but I don't want to live in this marketing world every single day. And if that's you, own that, but then find a way to to patch that hole. It's almost like patching software, right? Like, okay, we yeah. found we found a challenge. Now patch it, whether it's with a team member or outsourcing to someone else. Yeah, and I want to pick up on something you said there, which I think is so powerful, that you can't abdicate your responsibility here. We talk about this again, and this is a soapbox topic for me, so I'll make no apologies for having a bit of a rant about it. But, you know, and this goes for sales as well as marketing. So many MSPs that I see hire an external party to help them with marketing or sales um, don't really give very much direction. They abdicate responsibility. And then when it doesn't work, they say, oh, marketing doesn't work for us. Or sales didn't work for us, and we're never going to try that again. And it's infuriating. So I love your advice. You know, get that get that uh, basic knowledge in place because it'll enable you to have you know proper conversations um, with uh, third parties if you choose to outsource. Let me put you on the spot here a bit, Jennifer. When we're talking about marketing, I can see the reaction in your face there. <laughs> What's the one thing you wish MSPs would do better with their marketing? I have this term called the long tail of marketing. And I don't mean long-term keywords and long-term Google searches. What I mean is their, their sticking power. Uh, you know, we, we live in this, this instant economy where we, we put this flat bag in the microwave and, you know, two minutes later it comes out and it's microwave popcorn and it's ridiculously unhealthy, but I love it. Um, I love the smell. I love the taste. I like the extra butter ridiculously even more unhealthy if it was possible to do that. And we live in that world where, where, you know, we order, we order food and 25 minutes later, the doorbell is ringing and they're delivering whatever we wanted. That's not marketing. Um, so if I, if I had one piece of advice to give, it, it is to, to, select a tactic, a marketing strategy or set of tactics that then, you know, become a strategy and plan to execute on that consistently for a minimum of six months and probably 12 because the, the results do not happen overnight. And what happens is that you start to notice the vanity metrics after, you know, three or four months. And then you might actually notice a tangible result after six or seven. And it's not until 12 months that you, you almost have this, this avalanche effect where, where yesterday you were just looking at this mountain of content or mountain of marketing that is just sitting there and it looks like it's static. 
And all of a sudden, something sets it off and it becomes a small snowball and then a bigger snowball. And all of a sudden you have an avalanche that's fantastic. But it took you time to build that mountain. And so that's what I, I mean when I talk about that long tail of marketing, because we we all, I think most of us are susceptible to dabbling. Uh, we chase the latest shiny penny or that squirrel in our backyard or, or whatever it is. And, and it, I mean, we're, we're all intuitively a bit of a software geek. And so we see on our Facebook feed, the newest software tool that lets us add lower thirds on our videos. And we're like, oh, I kind of wanted to do videos. Maybe that lower third thing is what's going to allow me to launch my video marketing. So I buy into this lower third and I spend time learning this new, very cool tool to help me create videos. And yet I have yet to create a video. And, <laughs> uh, or, or, you know, we, we see this great, you know, I, on my feed, I haven't bought it yet, but it's a new, it's a new camera. It's a, it's a camera that hangs over your monitor and it, it hangs in the middle of your monitor so that when you're looking at the person on the zoom screen, you're actually looking at the camera. Um, and so it looks oh. like you're looking at the people. It's actually very clever. Um, we could get distracted by that as well and feel like, well, I'm doing a lot of my sales calls, um, remotely now. So maybe this camera will help me increase my close rate. Right. And, and so I, I chuckle, but I'm, I'm susceptible to that as well. Right. So, so it's, have staying power. Um, choose your tactic, choose your strategy intelligently, execute on it consistently, but please don't expect it to be microwave popcorn. It, it's just, it's, it, it's very, very rarely do we create our first video and it goes viral. That's simply yeah. not the world that we live in. Yeah. Marketing is a process, not an event. I, I always um, uh, liken it to the, uh, I don't know if you get these uh, over in Maryland where you get the uh, the flyers for the local pizza companies push through the door. Um, yes. Yeah, we get them. I don't know anybody ever who's picked up one of those flyers and went, I'm going to order a pizza right now. You usually yes. pin them to the fridge or put them in a drawer. And then when you're in the mood for pizza, you go back to it. So yeah, perhaps a clumsy analogy, but not not dissimilar. So um, yes. I want to pick up on, on something you said there about video. Um, and what are your thoughts on video as a whole as a marketing strategy, and especially webinars? Are webinars something that MSPs can use as part of their marketing strategy? So I, I absolutely love video. Uh, video is hot right now. People love to consume content via video. Um, I, I love webinars as well. In my world, they're two different things because I, I believe that that video is evergreen content. And you can certainly repurpose a webinar in, in the sense that you make it evergreen or make it a, a lead magnet on your website. They're both fantastic tools. Um, I, I think they're they're different, whereas um, educational videos that are maybe seven to 10 minutes long are really a, a top of funnel. Let, let me let people know that I'm out here. I'm a resource. I happen to be answering every single question that they had. Um, it's now on my YouTube channel. I have you know, 50, 100, 150 videos, no matter what their question is, they can probably find a video to answer it. So that's, that's, uh, that's where I see video webinars, I see more of a, a middle of funnel or even bottom of funnel type of approach, where people are, are a little more educated, they are looking for a solution, um, which, which is where marketing and sales dovetail so nicely, because all sales is, is solving a problem, which is uh, marketing is highlighting a problem solving it. So they're very, very similar. Uh, but webinars extremely effective. I, I do, 
think some people are webinared out. So you need to be super careful right. that you don't wear. Um, I mean, we, you know, almost everybody in this industry, we're kind of tired of webinars. But what we're not tired of are things like this, where it's it's very it's a dialogue, it's a conversation. There's no prepared deck. Nobody's reading a slide to you. Um, these can be extremely powerful. So webinars can work. Uh, but what about something like this, where you bring in three people from from your area and you're you're talking about things around cybersecurity or uh, you talk about cybersecurity, somebody else talks about uh, maybe how to set up a, an office in their home and they happen to sell office equipment, office furniture. Um, and maybe somebody else talks about the legal aspects of working from home. I, I don't know what that third person would be. Maybe it just needs to be two people and you do something like this where you are you're adding value to your community and and that is technically a webinar. There's no reason it has to be a slide deck type of webinar, although it could be. I love them all. I love webinars. Um, I love seminars if you're able to do that, depending on on lockdown status. And then videos are are fantastic. Yeah. And if you're watching this and interested in finding out how MSPs are using videos at the moment, give a couple of shout outs for previous uh, episodes of Tub Talk. We spoke with uh, Robert Gibbons uh, from Cara Technology, who is, um, uh, has, uh, by his own admission, gone from complete newbie with video all the way through to generating work from it. And uh, Scott Riley of Cloud Nexus, UK based MSP, uh, we spoke to recently. And uh, Scott tells a story, and I believe it was a £50,000 deal that he's directly traced back to a single video they put together but the, the you know in both cases robert and scott they are doing this consistently and they both started off not knowing a great deal about it but putting the work in doing you know putting the hours in and as you say uh you know getting towards that ten thousand hours or the uh, the 20 hours in the first instance to do it a reminder to everybody watching this uh live we are live and um if you've got any questions at all any feedback for jennifer or myself please let us know uh, in the chat, it can be cybersecurity, it can be sales, it can be marketing, anything managed service related. Let us have your comments. We've got a few different questions coming in here. Uh, so uh, let's have a look. Adam asks the question, what are your thoughts on cybersecurity insurance for MSPs and our clients? Cybersecurity insurance, what's your, your thoughts on this? So uh, as a former insurance agent. I'm always very cautious. I don't want any MSP business owner to inadvertently become an agent. Um, in other words, you you in the States, at least, you can't sell insurance without a license. It is heavily regulated. And so I think it's very needed. I think it is something you should be talking to your clients about and articulating the value to them. But if, if it was me and if it was my business, I would step out at the point that a, a transaction was going to happen and simply make a connection between your client and a trusted third party. Um, I would not want to be the, the pass-through entity where I'm getting a cut of that or, or it, that that just feels very sticky to me. Uh, and believe me, I have no issues with making referrals and I believe in building relationships, but especially with the insurance industry, it's so regulated. So yeah. yes, talk about it. Uh, yes, highly encourage your clients to get it. Yes, make warm handoffs to people, uh, whether it's in our industry or in your geography, because let's face it, the more people that you introduce to, to Robert, the gentleman who sells insurance, the better relationship you are going to have with Robert 
And then when you say, hey, Robert, would you like to do a webinar with me where we both show up, you know, as, as you know, on a webinar and we talk to the audience, Robert's very likely to say yes, because you've referred him three or four or five pieces of business that he's closed 60% of. And so, so yes, encourage your clients to have it. Um, but no, don't sell it yourself. Yeah, love that response. And uh, Adam, who asked the question here, in uh, the the advice I've been giving MSPs about cybersecurity insurance is absolutely is something that you should be looking for your own business, but build up relationships with brokers. As as Jennifer said earlier on, there is absolutely no way that we as MSPs can be bulletproof that we can keep everything. You know, we're going to do our very best, but insurance is there to mitigate, isn't it, Jennifer? So you know, it, I, I think it's a you know a natural part of doing business nowadays. Yes, I, I would agree. I was listening to a, a webinar that Matt Lee was on, and, and I, mm. I may butcher his analogy, uh, but his point was that you shouldn't promise your clients, uh, you can promise your clients the goal is to never let the opposition score, as if it's, it's a football game or a soccer game. But they may gain some yards, like like there will be times that there is a cybersecurity incident, and I want you to be able to recover from that. And so don't promise bulletproof security. Don't promise that you're reducing their risk to zero. That simply does not exist, assuming that they have a network that is attached to the internet or email. And so, you know, unless they're going to do everything with paper and pen and, and an abacus and a solar-powered calculator they are at risk and you cannot reduce their risk to zero yeah we've got a lot of love for uh it was the book i believe it was by dan sullivan that you recommended earlier was it who not how the formula to achieve bigger goals through accelerating teamwork by dan sullivan Uh, for anybody listening uh to the podcast version of this show we'll make sure that's included in the show notes as well we've got a question here from um tully tully asks how do you and I'm smiling at this because it is a frequent question, Tully. So believe me, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you on this one as a former MSP. How do you sell cybersecurity services to existing clients who don't see the risk? Now, before you answer that, Jennifer, we've got a very similar question from somebody anonymously. We've got clients who see the risk in cybersecurity but won't spend the money. So two questions along similar lines, clients who don't see the risk uh, and clients who do see the risk and won't spend the money. So okay. feel free to answer them both as one or, or separately. What do you think? Okay, so I'm, I'm going to ask for you to hold me accountable. I want to answer the first one first. Sure. Um, what do you do with clients that don't see the risk? Yeah, let's don't tackle let that. Another one, though, because I, I want to address that one as well. So um, this was probably a month ago. I was I attended an advanced training uh, by the author who wrote Gap Selling. Um, and if you have not read uh, or listened to Gap Selling, um, the author's name is Keenan. He only has one name. I guess that's because he's cool. Uh, maybe people like Madonna and Keenan uh, only need to have one name because they're just that fantastic. Um, highly recommend the book. There's probably 20% of it that is very corporate and does not apply to the MSP world, but the rest of it is fantastic. And so he talked about um, risk-based selling. Um, and and so, so this is his concept, not mine. I want to give credit where credit is due. But Essentially, there's there's two. Um, if you if you build out almost like a, a Gartner magic quadrant, and so you have two axes. Um, the first axis is is the impact on their business, and so um, okay, fine, something may happen, but if it has a low impact on my business. 
who cares? Um, okay, yes, someone could throw a rock through my front window, low impact, it's a hassle, but I'll, I'll get that plate glass fixed and it doesn't impact business. Clients can still come in, I can sweep up the glass. Low impact, I don't care. High impact, I'm starting to care. So high impact, I can't work, I can't bill, I can't service my clients, I can't track my hours. Uh, on my website, I have a whole list of business implications. That is the impact to the business. Well, in order to generate risk, you you have to, um, or, or in order to prove risk, I guess is a better way to say it, uh, you need to prove that there is a high impact on their business. But that's not enough. The other thing that you have to prove is a high probability, because if there's a high impact on my business, um, like a, um, yes, a tsunami coming through my, you know, through the East Coast and wiping out my office. Yes, logically and emotionally, I have to I have to say that would have a devastating impact on my business. But the probability of it happening would be pretty low. And so I'm not going to buy tsunami preparedness insurance because it's very, very low probability. And so in order to demonstrate risk, you have to show high probability that this could happen to you. It is happening to businesses just like you, happening to businesses in your industry, businesses in our area. So high probability. And when it happens, it is going to have a high impact. And so those two things are, are, you need to constantly be aware of that throughout your sales process. And, and the, a good way to, to tactically put that into place is to walk out of every sales process and uh, out of every sales call and say, did I prove my case that this would have a high degree of impact on their business? And you're going to say yes or no. And if no, you need to fix that for next time. And then did you prove your case that this has a high probability of happening? And if no, then fix that for next time. So your goal is to be, have a high probability and a high impact. That is what risk is. So that, that's a, a snapshot of risk-based selling. Um, yeah. so, so that is the how do I sell it if they don't believe they're at risk, you as the salesperson generate that risk or not generate the risk, help them discover that there is a risk to them that yesterday they weren't aware of. And we're all aware of it. Like we're all staying up at night nervous about it, but your clients are sleeping like a baby. They have no, they have no context that this could happen to them. And so your job is to, to wake them up or help them discover. And the way you do it is through the discovery process. So yeah. um, let's talk about the, the second part then. So you mentioned sleep, the client sleeping like a baby. I know from experience, this, this question that came in anonymously, where clients understand the risk but don't take action. I have had sleepless nights as an MSP knowing that my clients are unprotected or it's going to happen, it's going to hit the fan at some point, and who are they going to hold accountable? Me. Mm -hmm. but yeah. How do you help MSPs who have got clients who understand the risk but will not take action on it. So I would argue they don't understand the risk. They yeah. either don't understand the 
the true impact that it would have on their company, or they don't think it'll ever happen to them. Um, the first one is easier to overcome than the second, because it, with probably 20% of the threats that are covered by mainstream media, there will be a public interest piece where they they interview the, uh, the practice manager or the office manager, and that person will say things like, I couldn't bill, I couldn't track my time, we're functioning with legal pads and pens, um, this is horrible. And they, they outline the impact on their business. And so if they don't want to invest, it's because you did not build the value and show the risk to them. Yeah, that's absolutely. And I'm thinking back to when I was in that situation. And with hindsight, I can look back and go, I just didn't explain it well enough to them. So yeah, totally, yeah. totally agree with that. In the time that we've got left today, uh, Jennifer, I want to change pace just a little bit. Let's focus on the sales aspect here, which you're, you were very, very famous for. Some of our viewers today are going to have a whole team of folks. They're going to be wondering how to build this culture of sales within a business. Have you got any advice for them on how to get everybody within the organization thinking from a sales perspective? So it's it's interesting. I'm actually doing a talk on this at IT Nation Connect. So so shameless plug, uh, come to That's IT right. Nation Connect, come to my session, uh, and it is all about how to take every uh, every person on your team and turn them into sales rock stars. And so some of that we've 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 touched on. We've kind of skirted on the surface or skated on the surface by saying things like. Everyone needs to have a little bit of an understanding what sales is. And, and one of the things I'm, I will be talking about is having a mantra for your company. Um, just like, like the Ritz-Carlton has a mantra uh, for their customer service, and that's how they are so great at customer service. I believe every MSP needs a mantra when it comes to their company and, and having a sales-first type of culture. I think the mantra should be, we always do what's in the best interest of our client, which means if they don't want to do something, you can hold the line and say, but you need to do it anyway. This is what is it? This is not, I'm not trying to sell you something. So I make a dime. Like this is what's in your best interest. And if we're always doing what's in the best interest of the client and they happen to mention to the receptionist, oh, my, my, whatever, fill in the blank, my, my, this is really buggy or, um, my password, I have to keep resetting my password and I can't find my post-it note, like whatever that, that, that thing is, the receptionist needs to be able to recognize that's a sales situation. And the way they recognize it's a sales situation is that they know writing passwords on a post-it note, bad idea, not in the best interest of the client. And therefore they have carte blanche to hand that directly to a salesperson. Um, now I know I'm meddling a little bit, especially with larger teams um, where, where I believe there should be a, a freedom for everybody on the team to have a direct line to the salesperson. And you can template it out. I was just talking to Richard. He mentioned how he couldn't find his post-it note with um, with his with his password on it, and I thought maybe he might be a good candidate for that password tool. We were just talking about that. Sally, will you help with that? And and there's just this warm transfer because you always want to do what's in the best interest of the client. So that that's one tip on how to build a sales culture is to help people to understand sales isn't this 
yucky, slimy, gross thing that, that so many people believe it is, but that it is truly the heart of a servant. It's, it's wanting to help people with, with, um, with challenges and problems. And the problem can be solved with something you have to offer. Yeah. When I was running my MSP business, my engineers were actually some of my best salespeople. Not because we sent them out, hey, go and do sales. They went out, they kept their ears open, they saw opportunities to help people. And they came back and said, oh, Richard, can you do a quote? We've got this or that, or so-and-so's got this problem. It was just helping people. And that's fundamentally what sales is, isn't it? Not persuading anybody, it's helping people, connecting them with the solutions that you've got. So I love, love that advice. So we've got a few minutes left. Um, I'm going to go through a quick fire for a couple of questions that we've uh, got (laughs) coming in from uh, watchers uh, or um, the audience, I should say. Um, So Arne says, uh, having worked for a vendor, Jennifer, selling to MSPs, and now you work closely with MSPs, do you see any disconnects in the vendor and MSP relationship? That is a it's a big question, especially given the friction that we're seeing at the moment between MSPs and vendors. What disconnects do you see in those relationships, having been off on both sides of this fence? Yeah, I see two disconnects. One is that a lot of the vendors, and again, this is not everyone, this is a broad brushstroke, a lot of the vendors don't truly understand what an MSP looks like just from a staffing perspective. So uh, I was chatting with a vendor who will absolutely remain nameless. You will never get the name out of me. And and they mentioned, you know, I don't know why we're creating all of the, these, the, the white labeled marketing collateral. Why can't the MSPs have their teams do that for them? And I cocked my head and I went, could you describe to me the average marketing team for an MSP? <laughs> and, and she created this elaborate, beautiful, like, like organizational chart that had like seven people in it. And that was really my first aha moment. Like some vendors really do not understand the, just the nuts and bolts of how an MSP is put together just from a staffing perspective, because it's typically the owner or the owner's spouse or maybe a part-time person, or perhaps um, there's a full-time marketing person. That's that's rare. Um, it's almost never a marketing team. So I think that that's one challenge. The other challenge is that vendors are not traditionally good at explaining what is the problem that their solution solves. They, they are simply saying, buy my widget. And so the MSPs, I'm training MSPs to say, well, what problem does that solve? Is that a problem I need to attack today? Is that on my short list of the 800 business problems that I have? Is that in the top 10 list of even things I want to consider today. And so the vendors that are great at explaining, here is the problem I'm solving. I see problem, 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 problem. And my solution is custom built to solve all of those problems. They sell a lot more (laughs) because that's sales 101. The ones that are saying, I have a widget and another widget and another widget. MSPs are like, I don't need another widget. I've got lots of problems to solve, but I don't, I, there's a disconnect. Where's How does your widget help me? Um, and so that's another disconnect. I'm, I'm kind of on this one woman revolution to help MSPs or to help vendors improve the way that they message their solutions to MSPs because it just helps everyone. It either, yeah. you know, shakes some of the 
garbage to the bottom and they they go away because they go out of business because there was no need for their product. Or all of a sudden the messaging is clear and MSP's like, oh, that's the problem you solve. I have that problem. I need your widget. <laughs> now I'm ready to buy. And so that helps everybody. But either, yeah. either solution. And I, I'm watching. I'm looking at the attendees, the people we've got live here. We've got a, a large number of vendors who are watching uh, uh, this live, and a large um, uh, more who I know listen to the podcast afterwards as well. So listen up, vendors. Listen to what this lady is saying because it absolutely makes sense, and and it absolutely echoes my thoughts. Very, very briefly, from the other side of the relationship, the MSP uh, side. What do MSPs do that when you were a vendor? you perhaps found frustrating or you think, come on, guys, we can do better? Uh, the MSPs will not take sales calls uh, or will not play it straight with the vendors. Like if, if right. I have an MSP tell me, I'm not interested today, I don't need any sales coaching, but could you come back in six months? I'll come back in six months. But if you don't take my call, don't take my call, I'm going to keep calling. Like that's what a sales organization does. And so I wish that MSPs, instead of being frustrated by vendors constantly calling them, they would say, how, how could I reapproach this? Instead of giving a bogus phone number, or giving a bogus email, like I know all the tricks. I've, I've sure. used some of them, right? Um, you instead say, what are these vendors doing? And could I take a page from it? And could I put a system or a process in place whereby I'm not pestered to death by them? but I help them help me. Now, if you tell them to take you off your list because you're never going to buy their tool and they keep calling, that I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a legitimate potential vendor that you may do business with someday. Treat them with respect. Don't, don't hang up on them. Don't ignore their calls. Respond to the email. I will do this frequently. Hey, solution looks great. I'm not in the market today. Follow up with me in Q2. If they don't follow up with me in Q2, if that demonstrates how they are going to treat me as a client and I don't want to do business with them anyway. So that would be that would be one area that MSPs could could improve. Love that advice. We are all part of the same ecosystem here. Treat people with respect how you would want to be treated yourself. The world will be a lot happier place if we all did that. Jennifer, we're coming near to the end of our time today. So I wanted to make sure that anybody who was watching this who wanted to continue the conversation with you can find you online. So feel free, let us know where people can find you online and the, the latest cool resources that you've got for people to take away. Absolutely. Okay. So mspsalesrevolution.com, that's my site. And if you go there under freebies, um, it seems like the hottest resource I have right now is the video uh, video tools. And so literally it is 30 tips, 30 ideas of cyber, I think it's actually 40. So you can throw 10 of them away and execute on the 30 that you like, but it is 30 video topics. And so that's enough to get you either through one a day for a month or one a week for almost the whole year. And so that's a great resource. Um, there's also a place on there where you can reach out and contact me. Um, ha always happy to chat. And then I am quite active both on LinkedIn and I have a Facebook group. So LinkedIn, your best bet is either to search for Jennifer Bleem um, or I'm sure I will be tagged you know, in this post. You can just click on that link that tags me or search for Sherpa. I am one of the few that will come up when you search for Sherpa or cybersecurity Sherpa. And then Facebook again under Jennifer Bleem, super easy to find me. 
Fabulous. We will include all of those details in the show notes. But Jennifer, this has been an incredible amount of fun. I wish we had more time. So I will publicly now, would you come back and do another podcast in the near future? So many things I want to talk to you about. Brilliant. We will do that then. That's all the time we've got uh, for this episode of Tub Talk Live. If you're a subscriber to the podcast, you will get this episode come through in your favorite podcast player in the weeks to come. I also want to give a big shout out to our partners at uh, Fresh Productions. Uh, Richard and Ben and the team at Fresh Productions, they made this episode possible. They do all of the uh, backstage work with the live streaming. If you are in the technology business, you are looking for somebody to help you with your live stream or in-person events, then Ben and the team at Fresh Productions are the experts who will make your event great. Thank you again to our guest today, Jennifer Bleem, for being with us. And thank you at home for joining us today. We'll look forward to seeing you on the next next episode of Tub Talk, the podcast for IT consultants. Thanks, everyone. Hey folks, Richard here. Thanks for listening today. I know you've got a ton of options for who you listen to nowadays, so I really appreciate your support. Do you have any feedback on this episode? Ideas for future guests? Tweet me at Tublog using the hashtag TubTalk. I respond to every tweet and really appreciate your feedback. This season of Tub Talk is brought to you by Barracuda MSP. Every 11 seconds, there's a new ransomware attack. There are so many ransomware attacks, governments are now classifying them as terrorism. You've seen the news. Oil pipelines, universities, corporations, all paying millions of dollars. It's not just big companies that are being targeted. Small and medium-sized businesses are becoming victims too. So what are you as an MSP doing to help your clients from becoming the next statistic? Barracuda MSP is here to help ensure you and your clients are prepared and protected against the inevitable ransomware attack. One, attacks start with an innocent looking email that tricks users into revealing usernames and passwords. Barracuda MSP can train your clients on your behalf to recognize an attack and enable you to deploy anti-phishing technology. Two, secure clients' web applications. File sharing services, web forms, and e-commerce sites often have weak points hackers are looking for. If hackers get into these applications, they go after business data. Protect access to these applications so hackers can't get onto your client's network. Three, backup is a must. Today's solutions make it simple and fast to protect archives and backup or restore an up-to-date copy of an entire server or an individual file. Let Barracuda MSP help you strengthen your ransomware protection plans. As a special offer for TubTalk listeners, visit barracudamsp.com forward slash TubTalk and receive a free first month on any subscription you start with Barracuda MSP. That's barracudamsp.com forward slash TubTalk and receive a free first month on any subscription you start with Barracuda MSP. Hey team, this is Richard again. Just one more thing before you take off and that is MSP Insights. Now every Tuesday I share my thoughts on the business of IT with you, the managed service community. Thousands of managed service providers already subscribe to MSP Insights. It's easy to sign up, easy to cancel. MSP Insights is basically a short email from me every Tuesday without fail with advice on growing your IT business plus cool resources I found, discovered or started exploring that week. It's kind of like my diary 
library of cool things and often includes articles or books I've read, tools I've discovered and events I think you'd be interested in, often sent to me by my friends and Tub Talk podcast guests. So if that sounds fun, a short tiny bite of MSP goodness every Tuesday and you'd like to try it out, just go to go.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. That's gogo.tub.co forward slash Tuesday. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. Thanks for listening.